Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. We asked our hosts what Heritage Radio Network means to them. Listen in to hear what they had to say. Hi, everybody. This is Carrie Diamond, host of Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm here to tell you why I love Heritage Radio. It's all Dave Tatashore, 100%. It's what keeps me coming back every Thursday. I pretend it's the pizza. I pretend it's the bomb squad, but it's Dave. Do your part to keep Heritage Radio Network alive by supporting our summer drive at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal, and it's midsummer. It's August 8th, 2017, and wow, we've got the farm boys here, the farm brewers, and uh, quite a great collection on uh, Heritage Radio Network. So let's welcome to the show. Let's go around the room and introduce everybody, because this is an awesome show. Farm brewers from New York and Connecticut. Hey, it's Evan Watson from Plan B Farm Brewery. Uh, Derek Dellinger from Ken Falls. And Barry LeBenz from Kent Falls. From New York, Blake Arrowwood, Arrowwood Farms Brewery. Jake Meglio, Arrowwood Farms. And Jesse Latriciano, Arrowwood Farms. All right, this is going to be a great show. We're going to talk about some crazy things. Uh, you know, Derek's been on before from Kent Falls. His, his book, Fermented uh, Foods, Fermented Man, was out. Yeah. That, was, that was a great show. We talked about things. We learned that uh, you, you could get live on cheese, pepperoni and other fermented foods bread, but beer, beer bread yeah. was the hardest to get right bread, well not the hardest to get but it's it's hard to find good bread these days i think in my opinion but a lot of the point of the book was just to point out how many common foods are fermented other than beer and then you're you, you've been brewing at ken falls yep which is a farm brewery so we're gonna have each brewery kind of introduce themselves and just say some of the things that they grow you know because there's farm brewery licenses which we know in new york means what evan well i think still it means um using 20 percent total weight ingredients that were grown in the state of New York and, a, and a lots a lot of uh, legal caveats uh, for that particular brewery um, that now have been washed away by the uh, New York Brewers Association, I think. <laughs> but all, all three <laughs> but of the anyway. breweries today are yeah. actually on somewhat of a farm. So tell us, like, yeah. Ken Falls, a little bit about that farm so in Ken, Connecticut. Ken Falls is in Kent, Connecticut, uh, on Camps Road Farm. Uh, we started a brewery, a farm, and a distillery altogether. The distillery Never Sing Spirits is in Portchester. But uh, on the farm, we've got a working brewery. We have an acre of hops, an acre of uh, cider apples for the distillery, and we grow, uh, we raise pasture-raised pigs and chickens, both eggs and meat, and some small vegetable uh, vegetables as Great. well. Great. So you're like one of the owners. Yep. And Derek is the brewmaster. Uh, yeah. I mean, Derek and I started the brewery together. Um, so, I mean, picked up probably like four years ago, so a year and a half or so before the brewery actually opened up. We had been on the farm probably two years before that. Great. And then Arrowwood, you guys, it was funny, last uh, September I was here at, at Roberta's at Heritage Road Network, and I'd been upstate at, at some uh, great specialty grain growers, and we were doing a show about beers with grains, and on tap here was Arrowwood Danko Rye Ale, and everyone got so excited because we only knew a couple of farmers that were growing Danko Rye for beer. So just tell us a little bit about you guys, Arrowwood, where you guys are located. Yeah, so this is Blake. We were actually in uh, Denver at the Great American Beer Festival when, when you guys were having that first radio show when we heard about beer sessions. Um, but we grew uh, 10 acres of Danko rye that season. We have a 10-acre plot that we rotate grains on. We grow about an acre of hops. We raise pigs, sheep, uh, ducks, and chickens that all kind of form into our sustainable farm brewery model. Uh, we really took the farm brewery legislation from New York um, as our foundational philosophy so for us it started with the farm and we've kind of grown from the ground up from there with our beer so you guys are renting a farm and, and working on it yeah we, we lease our land um with with our partners and uh, we started in 2013 the brewery opened 
uh, in 2016, and we just had our first year. So, anniversary. And Jake's the brewer. Jake's yes, the brewer. Jake, and yeah. you have a, a Jesse. You're what? You're the hop grower. I'm Jesse. I'm the hop grower. Hop grower mm-hmm. too. So we got a lot to talk about. And Evan, welcome back, man. Hey, it's what? always good to be here. A couple years you, ago, man. you're on, and we coined the term the new primitives. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you're still primitive. As primitive as it gets, I am an early hominid. <laughs> I have the brow of, of, a, of a Neanderthal. That's so true. You, That's is it true that when you cleared your land, you just kind of went through and pulled you know, trees with your hands, pulled the roots up, and cast them aside? And that sounds like a lie. No, no, no. No, I, uh, we, uh, we used a brush hog. To clear them, man. We had some great fun last year. We visited. Yeah, you, you came up. Yeah, it you was had, a you rainy had day. Old apples on on your farm. Yeah, and, and, and you were part of an old estate. Well, yeah, it's the it's uh, we have about five hundred acres um, that are abreast to the the town of Poughkeepsie. That were the, the Underhill family farms and fed a, a big part of of um, Poughkeepsie and the Hudson Valley for a long time. And they're the only five hundred acres that are agriculturally zoned still. But they're a big mess, um, and uh, it's slowly turning around, which is it's really cool. I mean, it's like a 30-minute walk from the train station. You can walk from my 25-acre farm to uh, the the city, basically. You can walk to the train station, take a train down to Grand Central, and, and vice versa. Though I don't recommend it. They, we have Uber now. <laughs> we do. You want to talk about some Cuomo legislation that has actually done some good, in my opinion. Uh, Uber to the farm. Uber to the farm. But yeah. you guys, when I was there, you were still building out your barn and tasting room. And, and how's that coming? Oh, it's, you know, everything's um, slow and, and sure. I don't know. It's We've been a brewery for four years and never had a tasting room. So it, it doesn't phase us. We're not rushing to the, the plate trying to get things going. Uh, we do have a, a, a tasting room kind of scenario outside with uh, under a tent. With It's, a, it's a, kind of like a revival. You come and save your soul, you know, confess your sins. All right. Cheers to everybody. So you brought, let's go through the beer. So first, uh, you visited our friends at KCBC, and they, they, Evan, they brought us a beer. What was it? I don't know. I shouldn't be the one. The rice lager. But uh, I'm thinking about joining this collective of brewers in Kings County. That's a beautiful label. I think it's a rice lager. They were like, they said, oh. Strapanger lager. Oh. See, I can't even read it. That's a good one. I like. He's that a writer. One. He can read things. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. So you guys, you know, we're having some fun with this too. And you know, hey, Barry, it's your first time on, and 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 Blake and and Jake, and uh, you know, so like you guys are on farms. Let's talk about w- what makes you know being on a farm special as brewers. Like, what what are the benefits? What are some of the ingredients you're able to harvest that that most you know commercial brewers can't harvest from their backyard? I think with us, a lot of it is more, mostly yeast-driven. Um, we don't really have the desire or the goal to become an estate brewery where we're growing all the things for ourselves on our farm. Our approach is really to try and see uh, growing grains, maybe hopefully hops as well, as a viable economic uh, industry, something that if somebody wanted to grow grains, they could make a living, send a kid to college, whatever it is, and, and be able to do that. Um, that then would in turn make locally sourced beer also more affordable downstream to the consumer. But, uh, I mean, there, being out in an open space where the isolation is also in some ways a benefit, you get to kind of be in your own little world and do your own things and come up with ideas that you think are funny and maybe nobody else does. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Barry, why don't you talk about some of the names you guys have cooked up over there for your <laughs> IPA? Sorry to get, we'll get Good back. Man, Evan, yeah. We'll get back to the. Uh, uh, the so when, when we started, it was like six months before we made an IPA, and a lot of the uh, farmhouse stuff that we did, we would take a lot of thought into the name and the Brett beers uh, that we would brew. So when it came to IPAs, we kind of just wanted to have some fun and not necessarily be as serious. So they were all something that you would ask a bartender for, and it could be construed as something else. So the first one we released was Awkward Hug. Um, there's been a whole bunch of others. Nailed it. Napkins. Napkins. Yeah, you got to tell Evan asked you, so a couple more of the names. Yeah, you have to. Awkward hug. Uh, what else? Come on, Derek. Napkins. I mean, we have... Uh... An unreleased one we never made was an order of wings. Yeah, that was my favorite one. So it was, <laughs> And the way that I remembered it was an order of wings, right? And then there was that was a pale ale. There was a right. double IPA. It would be like... Uh, uh, no, seriously, seriously. Not the Ken Falls beer. Uh, an or- actual order of wings. <laughs> uh, oh, was there not a triple IPA? 
IPA? I think there. I think it escalated from there, oh. but you, you can yeah. extrapolate. Go. <laughs> then right now we're, we're drinking the, the first beer. We drink a lot of beers on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's. Tell us about the first beer, Jake. It's yours. Um, the first beer we call uh, Four Green Fields. That's a copper ale we brew <laughs> so at Arrowwood Farms. Yeah. Um, all the specialty malts in that beer are uh, grown in New York State. So um, at Arrowwood, we try to really showcase, um, if not one, just a couple of ingredients, not crowd the palate, and really um, showcase New York grown ingredients and showcase. So that's kind of like classic Arrowwood. copper ale. Yeah. So um, how do you guys like Derek? Like you're a great taster too. I know you as a home brewer. You know when when you taste a beer like this, it's copper. You know, what's a flavor profile of this beer? Uh, I mean, it's a great balance of, you know, malty. It's clean. It's, it's got uh, all the the malty, you know, kind of roast characters you want, but subtle. Um, I mean, it's a very balanced beer, very drinkable. Uh, it's not cloyingly sweet, which is one thing that, like, you know, it's not my favorite in a beer. Mm. Um, and I like how drinkable this was. I already finished it, so I can't take another sip there to describe go. it. And it's more. a very easy, sorry to interrupt, it's a very easy thing to ask a bartender for without thinking it's something else, which <laughs> I think is good. Yeah. Now, you, you know, Evan, yesterday I was, I was up farther upstate, up yeah. in Washington County, Cambridge, New York, and I was at, you know, some real... Real farmers who actually are farmers first, what? and some of them are making beer and cider. We know you guys are, are brewers first. Take it easy. No, it's Come true. On, and I, I, I was trying to think of you know the ingredients they're using and style of beer, and I said, wow, I should start just calling this stuff country beer and country cider yeah. because they're starting with their ingredients. But then but you I, told yeah. me that somebody's already out. stolen my De Suave my uh, <laughs> legal authority is going to come and smack you right in the head there. The, so the Suarez, yeah, Suarez is, family brewery is calling things country beer. I don't think it's TM'd beer. though. Though his, um, his yeah, mentor it's open. has trademarked yeah. uh, farmstead. The reason I mention that is, is this copper <laughs> ale is, is like it's kind of very, like you said Derek it's, it's, it's malty it tastes like it's supposed to. It tastes yeah. like the style. And um, cheers to you guys. Yeah, it's very articulate. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much. Cheers. In, in, in an era when, when grain is um, certainly underappreciated in, 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 a, in a package of, of beer-like liquid, this is uh, a celebration of grain, of, of, of four green fields. Is that hey, four green fields? Four, four green fields, yeah. Right. yeah. Are you were right. But I think, Evan, that, that's a good point to make, though. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about... New York State farm breweries, Connecticut farm breweries, farm breweries in general, it's really making that connection back to agriculture, which is, you know, people with the recognition, it is it is grain grown by a farmer, it is hops grown by a farmer, you know, it's it's really getting back to the nature of what it truly is, and that's what we're trying to do, and bring recognition yeah. to that, awareness to that. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think nice. similarly, like, to what I was saying about seeing, uh, seeing farms be related to agriculture as a a viable way to live your life and make a living. When you make a farmhouse sale, like I think one of the most important things to it or things that I value most about the style or being on a farm is that those beers we use locally grown grains. Um, when you kind of lose sight of that, it simply becomes a style um, and you're losing touch with it and, and putting the, um, the value of attaching it to a farm and having that be something that is grown by somebody in, in your community is where like, you really see it not only as something else, but it speaks to valuing farming in general and not just like, hey, this is local. It's, hey, like, people are trying to live their life farming. People are trying to live their life making beer. Like, and you can, we have recognition of brewers and people know brewers and from all over the place that they've never met or tried their beer. But nobody, how many people can name grain farmers, right? So it's, it's calling attention to that and trying to, like, push value backwards in the supply chain. Well, wow. that's, that's kind of a funny point, and it, it's something that I've noticed of, of brewers that I respect is there's a ton of craft beer drinkers that have a lot of respect for breweries, but I meet a lot of brewers that have respect for maltsters, farmers. That's kind of the um, – it should be a goal of ours as brewers and as business owners to really communicate that to the people that are drinking our beer, that this is not – this isn't just us. It's, this is it, a whole community of people that came together to make it all happen. Jake, it seems, uh, though, a bit like a, a navel-gazing for a decade, though. Because we've been around doing it, trying to do it, you know, um, you know, and, and we and we uh, cultivate our own yeast and all these things, and and I find that even the most um, avid beer drinker that lines up in a long line for beer, 
uh, has no clue where ingredients come from. And the educational curve is very, very um, low. It's very high. It's a very high curve. And um, I, I, it's, it's hard to articulate that. With And people give a shit. Like, I bet people on the radio right now are, are tuning out <laughs> because <laughs> they don't care about where's where my ingredients grandpa? come from. Well, here, actually, look, you guys here. So, uh, Arrowwood, you actually have a hot farmer. Yeah, and so we Jesse, have, tell us what, we have what people come out. I mean, we have people come out to our farm from, from New York City from all over and look at our big 16-foot trellis poles and ask, oh, what a beautiful art installation. And it's like, no. Uh, we actually grow our own hops, and uh, and that's what it looks like. And it's a big aha moment for people. And Do you think it is? Do you think it is an aha moment? I watch it on their go- faces. But you, yeah, I see it on their faces when they yeah. look at the hops and they ask. But my question is, do you think when they go and stand in that other half line that they think that the they other half also grew their hops and on an art installment? Do you, do you get the question, <laughs> do you guys make uh, use hops that aren't grown in New York State or your farm? Of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, I, I only yeah. ask that question because so do we. Most of the hops, if not 99.99, whatever, repeating percent of it uh, doesn't come from our farm. But uh, people immediately ask, like, so you guys grow all your own hops. And it's more of a chance to talk about, like, the scale in some ways. And this is where, like, through one of the first things we did when we got to the farmer's plant, this hop yard, it, uh, it is a huge struggle to make it profitable, mm-hmm. to make it work and get good yields. But to where it almost, like, seeing how difficult it is to grow hops in the Northeast has shifted in a lot of ways, like what Evan was saying, my personal attention back to grain because it's something that is grown in the Northeast is by volume when you're talking about farm brewery laws and all of this uh, more effectively a part of what you're using and doing uh, and meeting quotients. And like it's extraordinarily expensive to start a hop farm. And when you talk about using local malt, like I've calculated how much malt we use would it would basically keep somewhere around 100 to 150 or whatever acres of land in farming if it was all from Connecticut or New York. And that's actually like a pretty powerful thought to think that you have the ability to keep land in agriculture. Well, and open you know, one thing it doesn't, you know, people don't realize this. They love seeing agriculture. They love beautiful views. And when it, it's gone, it's it's shit. It's like strip malls right. and mm-hmm. weird housing development. So it doesn't get any better. Like the, in agriculture, these lands have been in play for hundreds of years in the Northeast. Once you lose them, you get shit. But we're going to talk more in a few minutes. We'll okay. be back mm-hmm. on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Good stuff. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Summer Drive. Check us out. Become a member, heritageradionetwork.org. So, Evan, what I, I was saying, man, you got agriculture. You got, you know, 200 years to build it in the Northeast. And yeah. you don't keep the agriculture. You know, you're going to end up with strip malls or housing developments. But what, what do you think? And that's certainly true. And agriculture is what built communities, and we all live in communities. Maybe it's not the, the Kings County Brewers Collective, but we live in, <laughs> in, in relative communities. And, uh, and agriculture it's is— It's only three guys at KCB. <laughs> no, they're awesome, too. They were, the beers are awesome. The, um, but I was saying that, that in the break, that short break there, that you know maybe it's agriculture, too, that, and, uh, that has overpowered— 
um, the nat- natural existence of, of, of places and in the sen- sense that like at one point you're like hey I like bread and I like this thing that grows wildly and I like uh, this animal that's kind of like this animal and let's put them all right by my house so I don't have to move and that's what a farm <laughs> is <laughs> right like you're like let me, let me, you know like let's uh, yeah instead of uh, but foraging and people and, and uh, um, anthropologists have, have said that foraging it was a lifestyle that couldn't grow people had a hard time uh, with brain growth in early cultures but actually uh, you can forage for a thousand fifteen hundred calories within like 30 minutes of, of a natural world so it's there's been plenty of uh, suggestions that uh, hunter, hunter gatherers were far happier and led far better lives yeah. than uh, the agricultural societies which it, it was, you know they didn't they were never forced to shave their beards that's true, <laughs> true. that's true uh, it, uh, uh, an analog might be uh, the home brewer to the professional brewer. Mm, right. So, uh, so well, I was never happier. To, to Barry, uh, Barry over at uh, Kent Falls is known for his home brew. <laughs> but, okay. So Sorry. Jesse was going to jump on this too. So finally I thought, oh, everyone would talk about supporting the farms. But now you guys are like, we don't need farms? What, Jesse? Well, I think we need farms, but it is, it is an uphill battle. I mean, you're fighting every day against nature. I'm, I mean, keeping hops in one spot in particular is is not what they do naturally. They naturally, you know, want to want to meander and grow where the ingredient or the nutrients are in the soil. And so you're just, you know, you're fighting that every day and and it does feel like why why are we doing this? It's almost? tough. It's it's tough. It is tough. I mean, it seems selfish like here I want all these things right by my house, but also it is it's very tough because you are combating the White Walkers of nature. You hey, know. you're not but, supposed to say White Walkers by name. What's oh. a White Walker? <laughs> this is an allusion to a popular television show called oh. Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't watch TV. But, I know. But, but, but you, come if, on. If, at, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we are talking about farm breweries. We are talking about the connection between agriculture and beer. It does make a difference where your ingredients are grown. Certainly. And Blake, you, you're, you're right. Because uh, um, beer is, is a commodity uh, creation of farming. And it's been disconnected from that tremendously. And I I wouldn't be more proud, uh, more prouder. That's not a word, but or a collection of words. But then the people in here to, we'll go with it. to talk about to talk about that and uh, what it means to be a farm brewery. I, I think I was just selfishly bringing that up because this is a true. we're drinking a beer. I poured a beer from our bouquet series, a, a wild flower series of, of forgeables, uh, things that we forge for, and this is brewed with um, wild chamomile, or colloquially colloquially known as. Uh, pineapple weed wow it's an incredible beer if, if anybody hasn't had swan bees beer it's pretty make sure warm well wow. <laughs> i was gonna it say about out that flavor yeah. i mean we're talking about the difficulties in you know managing the hop yard and i think one of the challenges or that i've realized with hops at least cheers to the is we're never gonna match Wait, pineapple weed that's what this is yeah, yeah. chamomile is pineapple weed. Weed. that sounds like something else you know yeah <laughs> We're never going to match yields in the Northwest. People always say New York, Connecticut, wherever, was the second largest hop-growing region in the world. And it's like we had the second most Germans in the world. You know, they needed to make beer. They moved out West, and they were like, this is fantastic. Hops grow way better out here. You know, and they didn't come back East because they were like, we don't have mildew. This is amazing, right? So I can't imagine, like... There's a part of me that maybe romanticizes, but that the yields we're getting in the Northeast and Connecticut and New York are really similar to, like, 1880s Germany, Mm. right? And if you think about where the yields they're getting and availability of ingredients uh, puts a constraint on what they're able to brew and the styles that they're brewing, so that is how a lot of beer styles, for air quotes, whatever that's worth, uh, kind of come about. And you look at it as this, like, longer-term uh, road to where we are, yeah, like the idea of putting a hundred like six pounds of hop dried pelletized hops per barrel in a beer is a totally new thing that 's a, a it 's new uh, it's England a, <laughs> <laughs> you know it 's a totally new thing where it 's like you know because you can order it out of a catalog and like okay, you do it and like well, People line up for it. Great. Sorry, Jimmy. I know I'm stepping on you, but the um, you're a big guy. <laughs> He's <laughs> that, hurting me. Uh, hurts. <laughs> but I, I will say that that is the key point. I think uh, between all of us is uh, it, uh, that makes us differentiates us. It is that we don't have um, a catalog that we're ordering from, and so it, the idea with with what I do, and and it certainly precipitates all, the rest of these fellows and and ladies and lady that the. Um, 
trying to make something that can only be made in a singular place. Mm. And whereas you can get a recipe and order from the same catalog. I mean, there's tremendous beer, you know, Hill Farmstead and uh, the worst brewery you've ever tasted beer from order from the same catalog of ingredients. And in in the reality of that, that shows the craft of brewing. But what a farm brewery is to me is making something in a place that has a sense of place and and cannot be made, cannot be replicated in any way anywhere else. A sense of place and a sense of time. I think that's where we are in a farm brewery. Wow, you're Albert Einstein. (laughs) (laughs) He is. Blake Arrowhead is cool. Okay, now since we're talking about these origins of fermenting, and this is more maybe a Derek question, you know, there are these myths of how, you know, if we didn't have farms, we didn't have, you know, grain and, you know, whatever, Egypt and Mesopotamia. What were the first, the, the origins in your mind of the first fermented drinks? You know, I always think of this bear discovering some honey and a... I talk th- about I, this guy's magic <laughs> Did I steal your story? I, I often think of bears as well. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. I haven't told... What, what is uh, Derek's... Derek t-shirt. has a T-shirt on that looks like a trio of. Uh, let me see it. Show me uh, your. It's chest. a trio of like black metal themed bears. I, I ran a, a homebrew blog for years called Bear Flavored. It was just like I don't, I don't know why. Just bears are cool animals. You have an entire Magic the Gathering. Deck I have an entire Magic the Gathering deck that uh, is consists of uh, bears. bears, right? Right. So uh, possibly bears or some other animal or humans um, probably discovered. Well. Uh, for one thing, even going back further than discovering alcoholic drinks, uh, overripe fruit will start fermenting and be mildly alcoholic. Animals will eat that naturally, and they, just off the off the vine, bush, tree, whatever, uh, and do have kind of an affinity for getting drunk. So, like the desire to consume alcohol is definitely something that goes beyond humans and is more more primitive than society or agriculture. Um, the first fermented drink that was discovered, I mean, we can't really say for sure. There's not really a way that you could go back in time and say definitely, oh, it was beer, oh, it was mead, oh, it was uh, wine. Um, most likely it probably was mead. Uh, honey is incredibly easy to ferment into alcohol. All you have to do is dilute it with water. It'll just start fermenting on its own. Um, could have possibly been beer. Uh, beer and, and uh, bread You know, are just kind of two sides of the, the same uh, glop of grain uh, fermenting <laughs> in different ways. <laughs> right. So, like, most likely honey, um, wheat, something pooled in some kind of hole in the ground or a tree stump or something, and rainwater got in and it started fermenting. Um, it would be pretty f- easy for it to happen, again, especially with honey. Uh, and it's but also fruit, right? I mean, sure, fruit, yeah, absolutely. long before agriculture, fruit would fall and things that are natural well, fruits fall and ferment. Same, same as the animals, you know harvesting those harvesting so to speak that that overripe fermented fruit and eating it humans probably did too you know whether enough fruit kind of like got mashed together to create a wine is i mean it's easier to envision to at least for me the how honey could have pooled and got diluted than yeah, yeah but yeah certainly it could have been some kind of fruit so it could have been wine. That in this little stump there was honey and water and yeast yeah. and the bear came and scooped it up and yep. then man did There's the same. Absolutely. The first God, fire. Bear. at radio, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about you guys up there in uh, Ar- you know, Accord, New York? What's your fermentation myth? Our, our fermentation myth. Yeah, like one day you guys woke up and you had beer or what? Let's talk about the yeast. Though. I mean, yeah, I guess something that I'm very excited about us doing that these guys have all been doing for a bit longer than us is starting to work on our wild fermentations. Um, and just all of the random places that you can find and harvest wild yeast, it really is kind of this insight into this different time scale where these yeast species, you know, we set up all these different... Um, We call them starters, but they're ultimately just little ways of capturing wild yeast, and we set up these starters all over the property, whether it's near the bees, in the woods, and you're kind of, it's like this uh, combination between modern-day science where we understand, you know, there are these cells that exist in the air, and we can pluck them out and, you know, um, have them make um, beer for us, have them ferment uh, uh, sugars for us, Um, but there is this kind of this meeting ground between this tradition and this um, kind of more modern understanding where you're kind of walking through the woods with this little starter and you look up at like this ancient, you know, oak tree grove or whatever it is. And these, these microorganisms have been living symbiotically with these other creatures for potentially thousands of years. We're going to put a little starter there, pluck one out of the air and put it in our beer. I mean, that's awesome. That's far out. So that to me makes me, (laughs) that gets us excited. And, and if it's delicious, you know, better yet. 
And what other breweries you guys look to? Like, you know, you guys look to Cantillon in Belgium. You know, you're looking to other breweries. Name some of the inspirations you guys have. I'm very inspired by Plan B Farm Brewery uh, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Absolutely. There's a guy named Evan Watson. Oh, my word. We're going to kiss Evan's ass for a minute. My two favorite breweries in New York, Suarez and Plan B. Plan B is pioneering just the terroir, that regional flavor. Evan just changed something. You can only take an Uber to his his, uh, brewery now. (laughs) He's got a deal. He started driving for Uber. (laughs) (laughs) And Lyft. Don't forget Lyft. <laughs> and I would not make the greatest driver for Uber. And that's probably they allow tractors. You know, I was going to bring up as as a, a inspirational brewery and Wait, Barry. Can you cr- drive your tractor across state? Uh, They're different tractor have, dep- laws. It depends if you have alcohol on it. <laughs> you can't. So, so you can no. never drive a tractor with alcohol. Oh, you mean for distribution? Yeah. Uh, open container. Don't do it. Don't. I know for tractor beer experience. No, you can't have. Um, I was going to say that, you know what, I I realized through a friend recently, so I didn't really realize it, but he told me this. Uh, <laughs> I was about to take credit for it, but I'm like, he might be listening to this. Uh, that uh, Louis Pasteur um, and, the, and the invention of the microscope uh, post-dated, you know, a German breweries making very clean beer, like uh, Wein Heinz Stefaner, uh, that was uh, 1600, I believe. Wein Heinz yeah, Kubot. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the uh, brewery. Oh, Vines to find. Yeah, well, Vines just find her. And, uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Whatever Blake said, yeah. It, 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 that, uh, then a microscope, in, in fact, uh, post-dates that. So um, there's a long history of even gold. I mean, gold star breweries of cleanliness. You think of Pilsner or Cal Pilsner, the thing that's as clean as it can be in beer, was a beer fermented in caves and open oak vessels and cooled in a cool ship. I mean, there's a way of uh, managing it all, but um, I guess what we probably embrace are our farmhouse traditions. Like people say Belgium and France, but I think that's overused. And Derek could talk to you about this. He was just in, um, you were just in and Norway and Amsterdam. You're in Amsterdam. <laughs> there you go. And then the, the the Scandinavian farmhouse tradition, which is still intact. And, of course, when you register at the GABF for a medal for your, your farmhouse beer, they, they say Belgian beer, right? Right. But they do not say the uh, – which is a tradition that has fallen apart. But uh, Norwegian you, tradition of farmhouse beer exists, is the same far more authentic has. in uh, Wait, Barry, in pour in the next beer while we listen to Derek. <laughs> more beer, please. <laughs> Continue, continue. No, I didn't really have. I, I want to see where so, you're so going. So yeah, it. So there's talk, other traditions, and he's setting you up, Dirk. Scandinavian oh, right. well, farmhouse. You were, you were just. Sure. Oh my gosh! Look at this crazy it. wild beer. <laughs> Who brewed this? What a disaster! <laughs> uh, for the, you listeners, a beer just uh, spilled all over the floor, but we're not going to tell you who it was. Not a Ken Falls beer. Um, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was Evan's mouth organ. But. Oh well, this was the collab with uh, Mike Regneshi now of Hudson Valley. Brewery, and oh. I believe the overcarbonation was his most fault. likely his. his He's fault. listening. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a fine. short break. We're going to come back, and uh, Derek's going to talk to us more about Scandinavian farmhouse beers on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, cheers. Welcome back to Beer Sashes Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we're talking farm breweries. Evan, what were you, what were you talking to Derek about? Scandinavian farm breweries or something? I know that um, Derek, who never invited me to an Amsterdam Wild East conference, uh, recently uh, we hang out from time to time, play a little magic, you know. At, uh, we gather. <laughs> And Derek was telling me about his, the conference and the most interesting lecture of all because he's a, he lives in a sardonic malaise but and is, is very cynical about the beer, nature of the beer industry. But a, an inspirational lecture was about Norwegian farmhouse beer. Well, and not even strictly Norwegian. He uh, Lars, uh, I can't remember his last name. Marshall. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I could spell that out for you so you could seek him out. But a really, really interesting presentation on uh, European farmhouse traditions outside of the the Belgian traditions that everyone's latched onto, which uh, 
they're all, they're they're so small and so tied to their their just kind of village and their immediate neighbors and like the the mater- the ingredients that are able to be sourced right from the town there uh they're almost essentially homebrewers and he was trying to kind of enter into that discussion that a lot of people have been having recently about what is saison what is farmhouse beer how do you define it mm-hmm. um and his definition kind of going based on these guys it almost just sounds like well it's homebrewers who source all their own ingredients and no one but their neighbors drinks their beer it's that tied to locality um but it's it truly astonishing like the the degree of uniqueness that these brewers have cultivated over generations uh, where they do these things that perform these very specific unique functions in the brewing process they don't even know why they do them it's just my dad taught me how to brew this way i don't know what this actually accomplishes never questioned it it just works like this is just how we've been brewing for generation uh after generation and uh, you know not to malign belgian beer but it's it was more commercialized more recently than what these guys are doing where i think as as american brewers we kind of picked out saison dupont and we said okay this one saison seven percent brewed with this yeast uh has this flavor profile this is what saison is but that's certainly not, you know, not representative of what farmhouse beer is across the world. And it's something that's maybe impossible to define because it's so many different things. I think one of the one of the things actually that like through listening to that lecture and thinking about it and is uh, farmhouse sales are really mostly defined in this country by yeast, right? Is it mixed fermentation? Is it something you harvested? But yeast from Cezanne DuPont. Yeast from Cezanne DuPont. Like there, there's a whole spectrum of farmhouse sales that uh, we can kind of talk about. But to me, like for something to really be need to be a farmhouse ale, I really go back to that. Like it needs to use local grain, and without that, it's like to me it kind of feels like making an IPA uh, that has as little to do with India. And the like the the combination of the point I was trying to make is while I'm okay with making an IPA and not having it have anything to do with imperialism, excuse me, imperialism, <laughs> I don't want to see farmhouse beers, or I want our farmhouse beers to put that value back in farming. And I think that's something that most people aren't really okay, or I would hope aren't okay losing. Well, I think one point, every every farm that, every farm you go to is different. Every community you go to is different. And I think it's important to remember the diversity of that and the diversity of, of beer that you're going to get wherever you go in this world, whether it's in the Northeast or the Northwest or or Norway or Belgium, wherever you are, you know, it's uh, diversity is, is rich and it's important and, and beer is going to be different all over the world. We should celebrate that. It's something to definitely celebrate. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would, I would kind of like to pose a question to our, our panel here um, of just like the, our industry, although it's obviously very ancient, but in our region it is kind of new and it's experiencing a resurgence. Um, there is this... Um, Phenomena that I, I, I observe, and I'm interested to hear everyone else's opinion of, you know, what what is our regional kind of terroir, that flavor? Like, as we, as we kind of, this conversation exists, it's almost a three-way conversation between the brewer, the grower, the maltster, really four-way because the consumer, obviously, is extremely important as well. The beer drinker. Right. Um, Good question, guys. So, uh, you know, where do you see it? Obviously, you guys have really um, pioneered a long way on the yeast. We, we concentrate a little bit more on grains and hops, and I'm very excited to kind of get going on the yeast, too. The beers you guys have are, are fantastic, and they have that complexity that you Why guys do you get. Say, tell us what this Ken Falls beer is. Uh, so this is Tiny House. Uh, it's a beer we've made twice now. Um, so every year we do a hop harvest festival and a pig roast. Uh, this year it's coming up on September 10th, if you're interested. Uh, it's pretty great. And... Um, and uh, so, so it's a mixed fermentation, wet hop uh, beer. The reason, uh, one of the re- many reasons we chose to do this, having a small hop yard, we don't have the means or the need for pelletizers and harvesters and all of that kind of serious post-harvest process. So we invite community members, friends, family from all over to come. We do a pig roast. We drink some beer. We pick some hops, and we're brewing this beer during the festival. Um, it's a really nice interplay between, like, wet hops, which are lighter, um, you know, and certainly don't inhibit the, the lacto and sourness as much mm-hmm. uh, in the beer. And to kind of see year-to-year 
how it changes between uh, different malts, different hops. So this one, batch one, was with Germantown uh, Beer Farms, uh, oh, Dennis's Dennis, Malt. Dennis, nice. uh, the second year was with the first batch of malt that we got from Connecticut, um, done at Valley Malt. Um, so, you know, both years are hops. Sh- shout out to Dennis Nesso at Germantown, uh, Hudson Valley Malt House, and Andrea Stanley at... Uh, and you know that Dennis is not listening to this because he's listening to a pop country station. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dennis, I know you're going to listen to this. emoji-filled texts. Yeah. But I think that um, picking hops like you're doing at your festival and like something that we want to do at our festival on August 19th is, is a good way for the community to be in touch with with what it is like to be a farmer. And, and just picking the hops off of the binds is a labor-intensive process that if you bring your community out, if you involve them, if you make them part of it, it can be possible. And, uh, Jesse, I believe that's a tradition that uh, pre- predated even uh, the apple, pi- you know, the people for here around the corner Absolutely. in Brooklyn come up to Fishkill Farms and take a picture next to an apple tree. Yeah, yeah, I get believe, to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, yeah I believe yeah. that hop picking in New York State is a, is a predecessor. So, Jesse, wait, quick. Great. So, you, you're a hop grower, which, tell us how you got that job. <laughs> Um, does anyone want that it's, job? It's the most fun job <laughs> on all the farm. Um, Blake actually asked me to help him for a summer and uh, just sort of ended up staying and uh, working on the hop farm and then and then took it over as Blake's role kind of developed into something else. But I, I do enjoy it. I love being out there, and there's a lot of weeding. So <laughs> you, you guys have a working farm, so you're growing hops, but you also have what? You grow pigs, you have vegetables, grain. Yeah, so we have a we have a um, ten acre grain plot that we rotate. We, Jimmy, you mentioned our, uh, the Danko rye that we grew earlier. That was the first crop of grain that we grew in New York State. Danko rye, certified organic. Um, we also have an acre of hops. We raise pigs that we feed our spent grain to. We raise ducks and chickens. We use their compost, break it down over a couple years, feed it to our hops. Um, we have some uh, good friends that run an apiary on the farm. We use the honey in our beer. And we uh, pasture a neighboring farmer's sheep during our hop season to help fertilize and uh, chomp down the bottom three to four feet of the binds to help mitigate against pests and disease. So we're, we're also solar powered. We're really trying to create a sustainable model as a farm brewery. And, uh, you know, in our community, for us as, as folks who, you know, are, are working and trying to thrive rather than it's just making country beer. Uh, Take it easy. To go back to to, uh, the question before about like what are terroir in the in the first areas. Barry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let's not use terroir because terroir is a French word, and I don't speak French. (laughs) Let's talk about let's talk about that. I got a whole other conversation on that. But but I think to to figure out what the the taste, the profile, the idea, the is it's certainly too early. Like you're not gonna make two batches of a beer and go like we've found what represents a region you know like there's not that sort of epiphany it's a long haul but i but i think the part that is most misunderstood certainly from an american perspective about the idea of uh i'm not going to say the t-word again uh but it is is the the t-word is the is the cultural only the the french can say it is the cultural importance that farming plays in the final product uh, and I think that is what the Northeast is actually doing really well in. Farm brewery laws aren't a thing in most of the country, right? Like, I was down in Texas and asked somebody, and they were like, no. And they're just like, they're like, yeah. that's your deal. Like, we don't know anything about that, you know? And I think that New York, now Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, I think, and maybe New Jersey, to different extents and different effectiveness and, you know, being able to be taken advantage of by other it, larger Maine's powers, too. whatever it Maine might be. be but, like, we're seeing a tremendous amount of grain growers and, I think, just people on small scales but having a big impact with breweries, you know, really grabbing right. onto them. And even if it's two breweries that make a big scene of it, if you want to call it that, um, <laughs> but like two breweries that are that are really focusing on their individual malts and calling attention to it, the one uh, really positive aspect of nothing moving slowly in the brewing industry is that people pick up on it, and then people are going to aim to replicate it, and that is an area of hope where I see actually an ability to change larger landscapes than just like. What does the beer taste like? But it's what impact can we have? So maybe we have farms on, it, on our culture. It's, it saves the world, you know. Well, we also we also work with a lot of our neighboring farmers to help us with equipment we don't have or land that we don't have, and and I think that that helps them in the sense of you know how how they can 
be lucrative as a farmer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, first I would say we, we tried a uh, beer from Arrowwood. We had a beer from Plan B, and we had a beer from Kent Falls. Uh, let's, we have time for one more beer, so, you know, the throw dice. Who gets to have the last beer? Let's blend it. Dude, come on. <laughs> so let's pop one. Come on, one more beer, My and then Aaron, you talk. What's your thing? Oh, actually, you know, uh, well, this um, on the foraging kick. This is a little. We'll do that, and then we'll do another Arrowwood. So uh, yeah, this is a, a beer. We're doing a, a four-part series: winter, spring, summer, and fall to represent uh, that time on the farm. And this is a beer. This is our spring beer, which is the first blossom we have is, is cherry blossoms, wild cherry blossoms on the farm. So this is a beer with a tremendous amount of wild cherry blossoms in a white wine barrel. That's good. But I would say, um, to get back to the discussion of the T word and all that Jake posed and, and Barry aptly answered, but to play uh, the Barry advocate or anti-advocate. It's a I know you don't magazine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you don't believe in the devil, so I won't say devil's advocate, but to be your anti-advocate, your non-advocate. I would say that there is a danger in New York. What we've seen with the farm brewer's license is labeling places uh, farm brewery. There are over 200 farm breweries in the state or close to that. And labeling uh, so a place a farm brewery um, that has very little to do with that, and I think it's belittled the terminology. But that's a longer discussion of, that's of a, a lot longer discussion. Yeah, about about uh, terminology. So in in Connecticut, they just passed a law, and they actually said the brewery has to be on a farm. And their motive wasn't to say like this is because farms are important. It's to try and start more breweries. Uh, I, I don't know. It, Out it's of a guys little, it's, like, hey, it's yeah. a little confusing, but the, I give them credit for it, whether it's in, intentional for that reason or not, yeah. because it eliminates that, uh, that I'm a farm brewery, but I'm in yeah. the city. But I think there's also something important to, it shouldn't, what I, I would like to see, uh, a world in where, Farm breweries are not the only ones using local malt. Uh, we were just but up that's at, true. we, we were mean, just up at foam, foam Brewers, and I had no idea that like all of their malt is grown in Vermont, and I was yeah. super impressed by it. And I think the laws should be structured in such a way where there is incentive to any brewer to use locally grown ingredients uh, to support farming, but they shouldn't yeah. be called. A farm, farm brewery. brewery. It's it's diminished the term, yeah. and it, those are English words. Those aren't those French words, right. and they probably mean <laughs> something to us. And it's strange to, to say that and not be differentiated from from a place down the city I, or whatever. I agree with you. But there's, um, you know, I mean, and I think of like uh, Chris Basso at Newburgh Brewery who tries very hard to to use local ingredients, or, or Dan Suarez at Suarez Family Brewery up near, and uh, that uses all uh, local uh, herbs and fruits and everything, because they're good. That's better. That's yeah, better than... Good. Yeah, and those two people are, are not uh, owners of a farm brewer's license, and so I, I, I just, I, I struggle with that a lot to, to think, you know, like I started uh, Plan B Farm Brewery regardless long before, not long before, but the idea was long before a farm brewer's license existed. We were one of the first recipients of it. And it's hel- it helped originally in a way, but now that's been uh, entirely diluted by the New York Brewers Association. That's that's what I want to get to. You mentioned that earlier. How have they diluted it? Well, they pushed for uh, equal, basically the same the same things that we got with like the, the tasting yeah, rooms, exactly with and pouring pints and things like that, with the exception of. Um, with five remote locations, that's one of the caveats that still remains. It's a, a exclusively a farm brewery thing. But I don't the know original, a lot of farm the, the breweries farm that brewery want five was, locations. You, you, know? you could serve. You could serve pints on on premise on the uh, on on premise. And your cider wine. You can do that. That's still a, a, something that's exclusive to yeah. to it. But I feel like now it's uh, you know the fees are slightly lower. But but I, now all kind of microbreweries in the state it's pretty can have a tasting yeah. room. Well, I do like I do feel that moreover it is the idea with the New York State Brewers Association that we are promoting independent craft craft beer rather than you know but that's a, big that's industry. a very separate issue though i mean the, so the one thing i'll say that the new york farm breweries bill has done that's a positive barley is now eligible for crop insurance which right make, when i started it, back in the cornell things when we used to go to them first and everybody wanted to get on board with bar, barley and there were two thousand people at the first uh, cornell malt uh up at uh what do you call it where we do the east conference thing uh, whatever. <laughs> we went up to the East Conference or the the Malt Conference, and there were two thousand. It was so packed. There were so many people. And then the next day, 
or the next day, the next year, when everybody's uh, barley failed, there were like three guys. In there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah. that's, con- that's country, hint to farming. That, that con- is the like reality the, of farming. For, for the benefits and, and, and uh, keeps them in the, business. the, the, the right. pros and so cons of the way, that the, a way that the New York law is written, Country Malt Group grew 500,000 pounds of barley, got it malted in Canada, is selling it back in New York at 80 cents a pound. And yeah, Empire Malt. German, yeah, Germantown is what, a dollar or something? It's a dollar yeah, for, right. so like, dollar for the... Uh, that's, a, that's a big difference and will, and will affect... Dollar of, ten, and will Dennis. Have, and will, <laughs> and will, and will, will affect Dennis's business, we but at the you, same buddy. time, it yeah. also... You, you, it's, I want to see everybody doing proper crop rotations and like quality farming, but it's also... We, you have to remember, like, this is America, and it's not going to work that way. Like, and I don't say that as, like, like gung-ho about it. It's just the reality of it. And if larger breweries want to start using local malt, and we can chip away, and somebody can grow 500,000 pounds of conventional barley, that's better in some worlds than it not being grown and more people not using New York State. We don't have to use that. We're small, and we can deal with these direct communications not only because uh, our nimble ability, but like uh, it's it's what we believe in. But it's that's a, a larger right. and, change and it's that's great. happening. That's we we went really far with this, but uh, Blake gets the last word because he's he's getting heated about because he's actually yeah. a farmer. And that's your last words, Blake. Farm breweries all the way. I think I think moreover, we really just want to make the connection between agriculture and beer, and and the realization that. There are people behind your beer. There are farmers behind your beer growing your grain. There are farmers behind your beer growing your hops. There are folks working on yeast science that I don't even, I have no clue, you know, how to understand it. Uh, there are a lot of folks behind the beer that, that gets to our table, and it's important to acknowledge that. And I think it's a beautiful thing um, when we do start to delve into it and discover that. It's, it's, it makes it all the more rich. That's great. This is a great show. This is Farm Brewery 101. <laughs> Justin, we're going to have to book these guys back again in another month or two. Like this is a really awesome show. Three. Big shot. Yeah. And then <laughs> I know there's some secret events. So, Arrowwood, you guys have an event coming up? Um, August 19th, we have our uh, Hop Harvest Festival. People can come, handpick some hops. We're going to have the brewery system going, so come down. Ken Falls got a pig uh, event. September 10th, Hop Harvest Pig Roast. We're brewing our tiny house batch, uh, third batch of it. You can go to the website, all the information and tickets. And then we're hosting uh, Pig Island. It's an annual event, September 9th. Go to pigisland.com. We buy directly uh, 20 pigs from an upstate farmer, flying pigs from this year, 20 chefs. It's great. It's in Brooklyn. Evan, anything going on at your place? Oh, always. I need an Uber to get there? <laughs> get on up there. All right. This is a great show, everybody. Big shout out. Thank you. Once again, everyone, please say your name and your brewery because this is an awesome crowd. Evan Watson and Plan B Farm Brewery. Derek Dellinger, Kent Falls. Barry LeBenz, Kent Falls. Blake, Arrowwood Farms. Jacob Meglio, Arrowwood Farms. Jesse Latriciano, Arrowwood Farms. Great. And I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors, who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Big shout out to our producer, Justin Kennedy, assistant producer, Hillary Fasten, and engineer, David Tattisher. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.